0: Uh, Alyssa asked me this week if uh she could share something that's that the Lord was putting on her heart before the message, and I said, "Of course you can uh and so here is Alyssa to share something I have no idea i didn't I didn't make her check with me, so if it's heresy it's all Alyssa. I had nothing to do with it okay deal yeah, yeah. deal <laughs>
1: yeah. no um it's kind of funny i won i the lord's been talking to me about revival, which is funny because you know, it's kind of in the air, you know, we've been talking a lot about it, and, um, you know, even this morning with worship and what you were saying, like, just beholding the Lord, um, that's, that's starting point, that's where we need to, like, that's our um, home base, that's what we need to come back to, but, um, what uh, so for me, I have grown up with um, a certain image of revival, and as I'm sure each of one of you has sorry can you turn me up Miko here down here I'll try to speak up as well but um the Lord has just been showing me over the past I don't know I don't know how long but um that we need to erase the the, whatever notion we have of revival we've got to flush that away because he's it's it's different every time and what's coming doesn't look like what came before And so, uh, the Lord was showing me. uh, You know, I worked in early childhood for many years, so I took CPR for many years, right? And the whole thing of CPR is reviving something that's not living, right? And don't quote me, but I think it's something like uh, 30 compressions to two breaths. But my teachers always said, if you're not, you know, if you're not in a place to uh, give a breath, or you know, sometimes. Fluids come, you know, if you're not gonna give a breath, keep doing the compressions. That's the most important thing. And I just thought, come boldly, don't quit. Come boldly, don't quit. Don't quit coming to the Lord. Don't keep, or don't quit um, going after the people that need reviving. And that's just the image um, that the Lord was giving me. Um, the other thing he was showing me was we need, as a community, as a church, we need to get to a, a new baseline of hunger the old baseline of hunger where we're like, oh, okay, come to church and you know we're praying we're praying so so diligently for the lost that baseline needs to get raised um, so I'm just here to encourage you to go after that higher baseline
0: That, yeah, actually. Yeah, I, I told Alyssa, I said, oh, I'm really excited about what you say, because she asked me, she said, I, would, I, I feel like the Lord's talking about revival and I want to share what I feel like he's put on my heart. And I said, oh yeah, go ahead, go for it. And then I, the Lord started talking to me about it. And I said, oh, this would be really interesting to see how well we dovetail, because I said, I might piggyback. And I said, the Lord might actually ambush my message, so I might not actually ever get to it. So you might be stuck there, all service. Uh, because I, I do want to piggyback on that, because what the Lord was talking to me about after he, Alyssa prompted me was, he said, we need to get a new purity of purpose and of passion. A new purity of passion. And I was like, okay, Lord, what does that mean? Because I have preconceptions about revival, and I have preconceptions about what you do for it and how you get there. And and the Lord was like, "I wash that away. I'm not talking about... You need to get demonstrative and emotional and tear your clothing. Souls, give me souls, Lord. Like, you don't need to do that, but you need to have a purity of your passion. It needs to be one thing. And, and the thing that I feel like the Lord has been talking about, about this revival that I do think is coming, the minute COVID happened, the minute the churches started getting hit, the minute uh, church attendance started dropping, I said, oh, the Lord is preparing for a revival. The minute that happened. In 2020 and we started looking at and seeing the trend lines i said the lord is preparing for a revival he's separating right now he's weaning and he's preparing and there's going to be a move and it's going to come and he's going to fill the churches again but i'm telling you something i i had this i had this revelation like the lord said stop asking for a move of god he's like i don't ask for a move of god that's too vague It's too vague. And this is what he's talking about with the purity of passion. He said, do you want souls? Do you want a revival? Do you want the dead to come back to life? And I said, yes, that's what I want. And he said, then that's the passion. You don't want a move of God. Most of us have have not experienced revival. There hasn't been a national or even a massive regional revival for most of us in our lifetimes. We might have experienced a micro revival in a church that's been really cool. Or what most of us have experienced is we've experienced renewal in 95 and people got saved during renewal, but it wasn't classified as a revival because that wasn't the primary focus. The primary focus was God was renewing the church. So it was hitting Christians, and we were getting new revelations about God. And I've said this before. It's really interesting. The things God planted in 95, I now look at um, evangelical churches, and they're saying those things that God started planting in 95. Evangelical churches are starting to say it now. And so you could see that God did something, and it spread through the church because there was a renewal of the church, which is why we call it renewal. But we don't want renewal. We want revival. So it's, I don't want God to just touch the church, I want God to touch the dead, and I want to see new life, revival, the dead to life. And so when, when God said, it's the purity of your passion, and he's saying, it's, I, I don't just want the chills and the thrills and the shakes, I want people getting saved. And that's why we're starting, and we're, we're, we're starting to these Outreach Saturdays, we're starting to get our mindset set on going out into the harvest, Okay, Because it's going to start out there. I'm not saying that it won't come in here, but it's going to start in the harvest. A revival starts in the harvest. Amen? So, and, so I just want to just piggyback. We need to throw away all our preconceptions, most of, it, most of all because most of us haven't experienced revival. So we need to throw away the preconceptions of what God did in the past or what we kind of know he's done. We need to throw that away, and we need to get a purity of passion that says, Jesus, it's all about you. It's all about you. And I've said this before. If you get in front of Jesus, you cannot genuinely stand in front of Jesus and not begin to ache for the lost. You can't do it. We went out. Jeff and I went out, and he said, where was the change of heart? What happened? Why did your theology change? Because I used to say, oh, I'm not an evangelist, and oh, people are called to do that. And I said, I just can't get in front of Jesus and not start wanting to see people saved. I can't do it. It's not possible. And I can't say we're supposed to be doing this and not do it. So I said, that's what changed. I had to put my money where my mouth was. Right? And so, guys, and do it in the way that God is calling you, but... You know, I just, I just was talking with somebody. She's like, I'm inviting people to church, and I'm trying to share. And I'm like, that's great. Keep on doing that. If you're like, well, oh, I, I just can't go out. I physically can't go out. Great. Pray for it. Pray for it. Join us and pray. Ask the Lord. Draw them in. Make them hungry. Show us. Highlight. Make it easy. Pray. And if you can go out, guys, let's go out. Because the harvest is here. And we just need the workers. But it's that purity of purpose. I'm not doing it so that I can see a full church. I'm not doing it so that I can see Holy Spirit fireworks. I'm doing it because I want to see the dead brought back to life. Amen? Amen. Okay. You can go ahead and put the slide up. Thank you. Um, I uh, I was talking to God Oh man! Two months ago, I've been having an ongoing conversation with God because I started noticing a trend, and I started noticing a uh, language that didn't sit well with me uh, in in Christianity, and and it was simply the idea that there's no limits. <laughs> And it started not sitting well with me, that there's no limits, that there's always a next level and let's go there. And, and, and I just started realizing uh, that it wasn't sitting well. So I started saying, Lord, what's going on? Why isn't this sitting well with me? And we started having a conversation. We started having a dialogue. And I think sometimes our culture gets in the way our culture gets in the way sometimes of our Christianity. That that um, sometimes we look at God and look at the things of God through the lens of our culture, and instead of what should be happening, which is our culture changes, we start twisting Scripture and we start twisting the things of God a little bit. And it is it can be really subtle, and it can be really um, quiet, but it can change a lot. And I and and i we've talked about this before we've talked about the consumerism in christianity because we live in america and america is a consumer culture it's all about more 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 the american dream is get money get rich be comfortable get more stuff have more stuff like that's the american dream if you ask people what 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 do you want to do oh, i want to be successful i want to be rich we elevate those people who have been successful and we call success money like that's the culture we are we born into in America. And so then we start sometimes looking at Christianity, and we start looking at it through a consumer perspective um, where it becomes about stuff, and it becomes about things. And, and so then the way you, you get success when it's about stuff is you get more stuff. And the way you get successful in our culture is you get more things, and you get higher, and you get more elevated, and the titles uh, that, that go before your name or after your name get bigger. And, and so sometimes in Christianity, we start looking at things through that lens. We talk about blessing. God has promised me three things. He's promised me shelter, he's promised me clothing, and he's promised me food. That's the three things he's promised me. He said, don't worry about these things. I will provide these things. After that, it's up to God. He could give me nice clothing. He could give me nice shelter. He could give me wonderful food. Or he can give me decent clothing. He can give me just enough shelter and just enough food. It's up to God, right? But sometimes with blessing, we look at blessing through a consumer mentality, which means chiefly, we think of blessing mainly as money when it isn't, but we think of it mainly as money. But the other thing is we think about the amount of blessing, and then we somehow start comparing the amount of blessing. So I have this much blessing, and you have this much blessing from my perspective, and, what, and then I start making judgments about what does that mean. Well, that means I must be better, and I must be holier, and he must love me more because he's given me more, right? And, we, and it, 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 it slips out in our, in our speech, and it slips out in how we talk, and it slips out in how we share things, because then we talk about the walk with God like it's always going up, Like, it's always going, and I've heard, I've heard pastors preach this. We need to start going from mountaintop to mountaintop. We need to start skipping the valleys. And I said, well, I mean, I, I guess God could do that. But I don't know about you. He hasn't done it for me, and most of the people I know, he hasn't done it for. And I know some really wonderful, loving Christians that I know God loves. And I see them walk through valleys. So there must be a purpose to walking through a valley. There must be a reason for walking through a valley. So if I just live on from mountaintop to mountaintop, I'm not getting the full experience. But we somehow make it the goal. We talk about going from glory to glory. That's one of the most quoted scripture fragments Especially in charismatic Christianity. We go from glory to glory. Do you know the whole context of that? Is we go from glory to glory being transformed in the image of Jesus. But we like to go, oh no, the walk is glory to glory. I want to tell you guys something. God is without limit. We are not. Romans 12, verse 3. This is kind of the anchor for this sermon. This is a sermon series, by the way. We're going to be talking about God of boundaries for the next three weeks. Romans 12, 3. For through the the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure Of faith. That word, measure. It's metron. It's the way we get the word meter. All that stuff. Um, I'm sorry. Real fast, guys. Am I on the stream? Because it looks like it's just. Well, take the slide off then. Um, Metron, it means measure. It means the measure of something, the measured amount, the container, the measured container. One way that that it we 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 interpret it is. Also, the sphere of influence that you have. That's your metron. So, to each of us, God gives a metron. He gives us a sphere of influence, He gives us boundaries. God loves boundaries. That's why the title of this sermon series is God of Boundaries. I think it's, it's interesting. I was telling Alyssa about this. I said, you know, it's very funny. The Hebrews were God's chosen people. More than anybody, any other people group in the world, God chose the Hebrews. And he said he didn't choose them because they were amazing. Quite the opposite. He said, I will show my might. My glory, my love, my strength because of how I deal with these people. I think it's interesting that God took Abraham and he said, Abraham, I will make your descendants more numerous than the stars, more numerous than the sand, but I will give you a land that's this big. And he gives him boundaries. He said, I'll give you the land. And he, give, he marks out the land. And he said, this I'm giving to you. It's your promised land. In Genesis 15, he gives him the boundaries of the promised land. In Genesis 26, he repeats it, that same promise, to Isaac, Abraham's son. In Genesis 28, he repeats it to Jacob, Abraham's grandson. He said, here's the promised land. Now, we all know what happens, right? They end up going to Egypt, not the promised land. They end up getting enslaved for 400 years. But he sends a deliverer. He sends Moses. And you know what he does? When they get back out, when he delivers his people from the promised land, Moses goes on the mountaintop and converses with God. God lays it all out. And he ends the whole conversation with, by the way, here's the land I have given you. And he marks out the boundaries of the land again. And it doesn't work out very well. And there's 40 years of wandering. And Moses is about to die. And Joshua succeeds him. And God says it again. Here's the land I am giving you. God is a God of boundaries. He loves them. So why does he give us boundaries? And why have we forgotten that and we somehow pretend that unrestrained growth is what's supposed to happen? We think that. I become a Christian and suddenly it's unrestrained growth. It's blessing upon blessing. I'm never supposed to be sad. I'm never supposed to feel pain. I'm just supposed to go from glory to glory. How did we forget that? When you read the Bible, and it's all boundaries. And then we get told in Romans, he's given us a measure of faith. He's given us a measure. He's given us a metron. He said, here is the territory I am giving you personally. Why does he do that? I think the most obvious reason, well, maybe it's not so obvious. I like to think it's obvious. Direction. He does it to direct us. How many of you guys remember being a kid and being asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? How many of you guys had one thing and it was the one thing and it never changed? Nobody. It changed every week. So you got older, and hopefully you started getting an understanding of your ability and your skills and what excites you and and, and what you're passionate about and you start narrowing it down. Hopefully some of us have a harder time than others and you, you suddenly hit upon something, right? I remember as a kid, I was like, I wanna be everything. I wanna be, depending on what I saw, I was like, I wanna be that. I remember my grandma and my grandpa Uh, said, hey, do you want to watch a musical? And I said, sure. And we watched um, Singing in the Rain. And if you asked me what I wanted to be after watching Singing in the Rain, I would have told you, I want to be Gene Kelly. That guy is amazing. I want to sing. I want to dance. I want to act. And I tell you, in another life, I'd be Gene Kelly. I really would. The guy's amazing. Okay, But in a week, I might have seen something else. Again, my grandparents, you want to watch a Western? Sure. Hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a cowboy. I want to be John Wayne. That man is cool. You wanted to be anything and everything. You had no direction. You know the famous verse where there is no vision the people perish the definition the, the translation I like the best goes where there is no vision the people go unrestrained where there is no vision the people go unrestrained he gives us boundaries for that very reason to bound us in Because if we didn't have it, we'd go anywhere, and we'd do anything, and we'd waste a whole lot of effort, and we'd waste a whole lot of energy. Think of a river. Think of a river. A river is bounded by its banks. The banks of a river dictate where it will go. And in many cases, it dictates how fast it will go, how deep it will go. That's why God gives us boundaries. That's why he gives us a measure, and that's why he says, don't compare yourself, because it's worthless to compare your metron with someone else's, because I measure you this way, and I measure them this way. 2 Corinthians 10:12, starting at 12, says, for we are not bold. This is Paul writing to the Corinthian church, writing to some people who have been objecting, To what he's been teaching and writing to them this is second corinthians the second letter for we are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves but when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves they are without understanding but we will not boast beyond our measure But within the measure of the sphere which God apportioned to us as a measure to reach even as far as you. Do not compare yourself. Do not compare your measure. It's worthless. And when you do that, you don't understand. He says you have no understanding. Because the, the principle here is God has given Jeff a measure of faith, and he's given me a measure of faith, and they're different measures. And what I really love is he says But we will not boast beyond our measure, which I love, because here's another thing Christians kind of have a hard time with, boasting. Because we like to say boasting is pride. And there's that very famous statement, it's not a boast if I can back it up. But if I can back it up, it's because I understand the measure God gave me. So it's not a boast. So when I say, you know, I I tell people this, I can speak a message in season and out. That's not a boast. Because the measure of faith God has given me personally means that I have a, a gift and a skill to share and to teach. And you can call me up in the middle of the night and say, preach a message, Miko. And I'll say, okay, and I'll give you a message. And most of the time, it won't be heresy. Depends on how late you call me. That's not a boast because that's me understanding the measure that God gave me that one of my primary giftings and abilities is to stand before people with some type of amplification and to share and to be understood. Since I was a kid. It's been in me since I was a kid. When, I remember, I've shared this before, but I remember uh, we used to eat Chinese food a lot and you'd look at your Zodiac you go to, you know, whatever year, I'm the year of the dragon. I'd look at my Zodiac and it would say, you know, here's your personality. And it said, your job, you are best suited to be a politician, a pastor, and I can't remember the third one, or a lawyer. That's what it said. And the funny thing is, in my life, if you asked me what I wanted to be from late primary school into middle school, I would have said, I want to be a lawyer, I'm going to practice law for a bit, get some money, then I'm going to become a congressman, and I'm going to serve in the Congress for several terms, and then once I amassed enough money and cachet, I'm going to become a senator, and I'm going to do that for a while, and then eventually I'm going to become the first African-American president of the United States. That's what I would tell people. i to be a lawyer, The high school I went to, I went to Franklin High School for two years. I chose that because they had a law and public service program that I joined. Because I was going to be a lawyer. And I was going to be a lawyer so I could get publicity and money and be able to become a politician of some sort with the end goal of becoming the first African American president of the United States. And then God got me. And there was a really rough period in high school where I was transitioning from not wanting to be a lawyer and a politician, but wanting to be a pastor. But it still cracked me up that, for whatever odd reason, my Chinese zodiac was 100% correct. Those were the three careers I wanted to be, and I landed on pastor. All of those careers are about communication. All of those careers are about being in front of people presenting, by the way. It's always been in me. something the Lord put in me from the very beginning. So it's not a boast if it's in my measure, which means I have to understand my measure. How do I understand my measure, by the way? I talk to God. God teaches me the measure he's given me. Because what he wants us to do with our measure is to be faithful. He wants us to be faithful. We're faithful by understanding what he's put on us to do and doing it. So the, the thing is, he loves boundaries, and he loves, I already said, he loves sharing boundaries. Because when he shares boundaries... He's sharing your direction. He's sharing your value. He's sharing your vision. He's sharing the good works he has predestined you to do. He's sharing all of that. And when you do that, the whole point is it guides and directs you, not just in life, but it guides and directs you to him. Because fundamentally, everything he does to you is to increase your relationship with God or increase someone else's relationship with God. Amen? So it's really important that we are talking to God and we're aware and in communication with God about the metron he's given us. What is the measure that you have given me? What am I supposed to be doing? Have you ever heard this phrase, know your lane and stay in it? That's the truth. It's the truth. And the problem I see with Christians is we have this consumerism, we have this moreism. we have this going to the next level kind of disease that says I'm not successful unless there's growth of some sort. I'm not successful unless there's a collection for me of some sort. Look at all the ways God has blessed me. If a pastor, trust me, pastors deal with this all the time because we are judged by the size of our churches. So pastors have this all the time. One of my favorite people in the whole world is, was my youth pastor, Tom Weiss. Awesome man. Love the guy. One of the coolest things about him that I thought was amazing, the older I got, was he felt called to start a church. And he went, and he he became a member of a church that was a church planting church, and he went, got into a program, and he planted a church. And what I love about him is, unlike a lot of pastors who will tell you, as many, as many as possible— As many and as as much as you give me, Lord. He said, I want to be a church of 100, 150 people. I want to be planted in a community. I want the people in the community to attend that church. And that's what I want to be. And I said, that's an amazing vision because most pastors wouldn't say that. They'd want, you know, they they secretly would look to the megachurches going, that's what I want. I want a megachurch. I want a massive platform. I want to be known. I want to go speak at conferences. I want to, you know. I want to be able to write books. And And he's like, I want to be a community church. And he's like, 100, I remember talking to him about 100, 150. And I said, why that number? He said, because that's the number that can really uh, support a pastor and an associate pastor and a youth, you know, like a part-time youth pastor. Like he was, he was like, that's the number. And I'm like, that's amazing. There's a man that understood his Metron. He knew his lane and he stayed in it. Most pastors wouldn't do that. They'd go as many as as much. And, Lord, as long as you keep growing, I'll just keep on saying yes. And then you got, truthfully, you got a lot of these mega pastors who have some interesting lives behind the curtain. And stuff comes out. And you find out, oh, this pastor was on, you know, medication and taking sleep sleeping pills. And, and I'm like, I once was talking to, to, to somebody about, a pastor, mega church, one of the largest churches in the world that just got removed and it, you know, got out that, you know, this person was taking sleeping aids and all this, and there's a couple of incidents that he was blaming on mixing medications. And I'm sitting there going, if your life is so stressful as the pastor of a church that you need to rely on sleeping aids and you need to rely on this medication and you're taking antidepressants because you're you're stressed out, I don't know if you're in the grace of God. I don't know if you're in your lane. That might be a sign that you weren't built for what you're doing. Because the problem is, when no matter what level you are, when you step out of the measure God gives you, you're staying where you are by your own effort and by your own willpower. And that's a scary place to be. Charlie and I used to talk about this all the time. It is scary to get someplace on your own because then you have to keep yourself there. And my prayer with God is, Lord, I never want to step out of the measure you give me to the point where I have to maintain it on my own because I'm not that good. So I will crash and burn. Lord, I want to stay in the measure you've given me in your will because the amazing thing about when I'm in the will of God, when I'm in my metron, when I'm in the territory he's given me, that's where my victory is promised. When I step out of it is where I'm in no man's land. And I've been there before, and I've had the prayer where I'm like, Lord, please show me your mercy because I deserve what's coming. I made a mistake. I stepped out of your will. I deserve what's coming. Lord, please spare me. Show me your mercy. Some of us have probably prayed that prayer. But when I'm in the metron of God, I don't need to ask for God's mercy. I need to ask for his grace, which is his empowerment, because he's promised me a victory. You see, he told the Israelites, here's your promised land. It's occupied. But don't worry. I will go before you and give you victory and drive them out. So when you're in your the metron of God, he's sitting there saying, the victory is promised. The things I have predestined you to do, are promised you just need to stand there and when resistance comes you stand and you say lord give me your grace show me how to go through this show me what to do but you stand on the faith that it is promised so it is done but again know your lane i love politics i love politics like i said i wanted to be a politician when i was a kid I love listening to politicians, I love hearing what they're saying, I love election season because I like to hear the debates, I like to go who's, who's doing what, why are they doing that, they said this but here's what they really mean, they said that because they're trying to appeal to that group, I love dissecting politics. And guess what, when it comes to presidential elections, presidential elections I've been correct on every presidential election since Clinton's second one, I've been correct except for once, which me and God had conversations about. But I have never, ever stood on this pulpit and said, here's who's going to be president, here's who you should vote for. I have never stood on this pulpit and said, here's the measures on the ballot, here's what you as a Christian should vote for. Do you know why? Because I know my lane, and that ain't my lane. Politics aren't my lane. I enjoy politics, but that's not my lane. So if I start talking to you about politics, I step out of my metron. And when I step out of my Metron, I'm in no man's land. And that means that I am open and I am vulnerable. And I see a lot of Christians in a lot of areas that step out of their no They step into their no man's land. They step out of their Metron and they're suddenly vulnerable. And that is when suddenly idols come up. And we start worshiping an idol. And we start giving our attention and our time and our praise and our effort to an idol not to God and sometimes it can be things of God that we make idols it can be a desire of a godly outcome that we make an idol and Ezekiel God tells us in Ezekiel that God will speak to you through your idol that God will share something with you but if you have an idol in your heart it'll go through the filter of your idol and you will not hear correctly that's why it's dangerous when we step out of our metron, because I know so many Christians, and I've done it too, where we make an idol of a godly thing, but then it becomes increasingly hard, and it's, we're so easy to be deceived, because when we hear God, we goes through the filter of the idol that's in our heart. That's why Jesus needs to be the one thing, because when I stand before Jesus, he casts out every idol. Can you imagine? This is, I prayed this once. I said, Lord, like the moneylenders in the temple, please come into my heart and cast out all the idols. That's a prayer he'll always say yes to. I get reminded of the Ark of the Covenant when the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant and they passed it from city to city. Every city they, they put it in was, was struck with boils and plagues and they put it in the temple of their god Dagon and Dagon fell. You see, when the presence of God is in me, idols fall, which is why I love when I'm in my Metron, because I can get before God and say, show me the idols and cast them out. So God is a God of boundaries, and it's not a limit on us. It's to give us direction. It's to give us guidance. It's to give us vision so that we don't expend our energy aimlessly. It focuses us. And not only that, it provides us protection, and it lets us stay in the will of God and protects us from when we're outside of it and we're subject to to idols. We're subject to misrepresentation and misinformation. So for this first Sunday, the challenge I have for you guys. Like, why are we talking about this? We're talking about revival, then we suddenly talk about God of boundaries. How does that connect? Because I'm telling you. I am praying with God I say everything I teach I I want it to be connected to somehow the revival because I believe in it so much. So how does this connect? Well, let me explain it to you. I hope the pod I hope that picked up on the Let me explain it to you. That purity of passion comes when you're in your metron, when you're in the measure God gives you. It's when we step out into no man's land that it starts getting twisted and it starts getting impure. We can still have the same passion, but it starts getting impure. And we start putting our energy and our direction to something other than what God is asking us to do. And this is other than a revival that's about saving souls. And we start going, well, I, just, I want a move of God, and I just want to, to get the chills and the thrills and the, and the Holy Spirit spills and the, all that jazz. Or we, or we sit there and, and we step out of the will of God, and, and it's like, no, I, I, want, I want to see that happen, but that's not really what I'm called to. I'm not really called to be part of that. That's not true either. But when you're in your metron, when you're, when you're in the measure God gives you, he constantly wants to tell you about it. He constantly wants to have dialogue about it. And so you can sit there and go, okay, Lord, a revival is coming. How do I partner with your revival with the measure you've given me? And he'll be 100%. I'm there. He's there for that conversation. And he'll give you a purity of passion that the one thing is the one thing instead of the one thing is secretly three things that I really want to happen. You know, I... Should I say this? I don't want people to get saved so that the political result that I want happens. I don't want people to get saved so that crime lessons i don't want people to get saved for some type of dominion theology that i have that means somehow christians will somehow have some form of secular power i don't care i don't care see that's not purity of passion that's maybe saying i want to see people saved but then i have all these underlying reasons the purity of passion says i want to see people saved because. God wants to see people saved because God wants a bigger family, because God loves the whole world, and he gives the whole world an option to love him back. So that's why I want to see people saved. I want to see people saved because I want to see the dead brought back to life, not because I want to see some secular benefit to it. I don't want to see people saved so my church grows. I want to see people saved so the kingdom grows. But I find that purity when I'm in my measure that's where I find it. And when my purity of passion becomes polluted, it's because I've stepped out. And I know the simplest solution is to go, I am sorry, Lord. I repent and I step back into your way and into the measure you have for me. Please now come in and cast out the idols from my heart. Amen. Amen. So Father, I thank you so much that you are so faithful. You are so diligent. Father, you are like a hen brooding over her hatchlings. You care for us. You desire the best for us. You desire a bigger, greater, stronger relationship with us. And Father, I thank you that you have equipped us in every way for what you have called us to do that you are without limit, but you give us the boundaries so we can accomplish what you have put in our lives. And Father, I just pray right now that you would come in, Jesus, come in like you did in the temple and overturn our idols. Throw them out of our hearts, Father. We want a purity of passion that says you are the one thing. You are it. You are all I want. Only you. And Father, I just pray that there is no shame. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. So as we see and feel you come in and knock out our idols, Father, we are not filled with shame. We're filled with conviction, and we're filled with gratitude, and we just step back into the measure you have given us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys.